after the various letters written by Paul, and then after the book of Hebrews, you come to the letter of James. We're going to read the first 18 verses of chapter 1, but our text will be only verse 17. That's what we'll focus on. And as we read the book of James and come to it this morning, I think it's helpful to think about the book of James sort of like the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. You have the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and James is just abounding and overflowing with practical wisdom like the book of Proverbs. But it's also, in a sense, an inspired commentary on the Lord Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. So you see all sorts of parallels to the book of Proverbs, all sorts of parallels to the Sermon on the Mount. And even our text today does just this. The Lord's Prayer that we just prayed occurs, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And it begins with our Father. Verse 17, our text for this morning, opens up what is so true and glorious about our Father, namely that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, from our Father who is in heaven. So keep that in mind as we now read the first 18 verses of the book of James. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth 
by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Take one more minute to go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we do not want to be double-minded people, doubting people, people who are tossed to and fro. We pray that you would give us wisdom. We pray that you would grant us the Holy Spirit that is your special gift to us, being our loving Father, and that you would open up to us now a verse that we know and perhaps have memorized but come to again this morning. Transform us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in yet another holiday season. The colors around you are sort of time-lapsing from fall colors into Christmas ones from orange to green. How's it going so far? How is everybody today? My family knows this about me. I suffer from early onset, grouchy, grinchy, Scrooge-like curmudgeonliness, and I'm only 41. They're terrified of what it's going to look like in the next 20 or 30 years. This is especially perplexing to me because over these past weeks I continue to preach on how we should be doing everything without complaining or arguing, that we should be giving thanks for everything all the time, that our lives, even though we are not yet in heaven, should be about that serious business of heaven, praying, praising, rejoicing, and always doing those things always without ceasing. So that's me. How are you doing? How's the holiday season going so far? I have this more, uh, more specific question, and I think even a more helpful one than just how are you doing? And it's the one I have to ask myself. How are you doing when it comes to thinking about the goodness of God? Many of us love the fourth shorter catechism question in the Westminster Standards. God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And I'd suggest that at points you just write out a very abbreviated version of that. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his goodness. That's a lot of what our verse, James 1.17, has to say. There's no variation or shadow of turning. He is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his goodness. He is good. All of the questions we have theologically, all of the mysteries that are in scripture, all of the riddles of reality and life, all of the perplexing questions we ask, must only 
develop a sense of worship before God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his goodness. I am glad to hear so many people saying God is good, following up some sort of a difficult statement or another, simply by saying God is good, God is good all the time. That's exactly what the word of God tells us. And as we come to uh, this verse on the Sunday after Thanksgiving and the time at which things are transitioning over to uh, a Christmas season, I suppose, it's helpful to think about God and his gifts to us, the God from whom all blessings flow, as we sing in our doxology. And this verse, verse 17, is accessed or opened up by, by thinking about something that is said during the Christmas season so often. It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Because that, that sentiment, the idea that when you are given a gift, it's really the thought that counts, is helpful to us in seeing that a gift is really two parts. There's the gift itself, but then there's the thought behind the gift or the giver. The giver and the gift is what this verse is about. And of course, God the Father, God our Father is the giver, and he is responsible for every good gift in our lives. Ultimately, behind every gift, every good gift you ever receive, is God your Father, the giver. And that's how we'll understand this verse this morning, the gifts and then the giver. And as we consider that, we come again to very comprehensive language. We're not in the Apostle Paul this morning, but with uh, James, who also writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And we revisit this theme that we even saw back in Philippians, but everything, you know, it's not just always, but for everything. And this verse begins, every good thing given and every perfect gift. So let's think about that just for a moment. Again, a while back, Philippians 2.14, don't do anything with complaining or arguing. Comprehensive command in the negative. And it reminds us that over and over throughout scripture, we come to the law of God, rules from the Lord, him saying that he is not only Savior, but also Lord. And he often begins by saying, don't do this, or don't do that, or no, the way a parent often finds it necessary to speak. And the commandments are mostly written like that, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But that no is there so that it can be followed up by an even better yes. He has to say no to certain things that are toxic, so that you can devote that energy to something that is life-giving and wonderful. And that's the way to think about those negative commands. So complaining, arguing in the sinful sense, not in the appropriate lamenting or grieving sense of the Psalms, but in a sinful way, complaining and arguing. Don't do that. Why? So that Ephesians 5.20, for all things, all the time, you can give thanks. 
so that you can see him as the good giver of every good thing and every perfect gift. So that you can see him as the God who says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Or the way Paul writes about that, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? You see how comprehensive this is? Every verse is just speaking about everything all the time, without exception, relentlessly comprehensive. And that's what Spurgeon in what we read uh, last week was getting at. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything else. I won't read the whole thing, but if a man has Christ, what does he lack? If a man has Christ, he has everything. I lack pardon, and if I have Christ, I am pardoned. I lack heaven, and if I have Christ, I have the Prince of Heaven. If you have Christ, you have all. And we know that from the doxology that we sing on the second Sunday morning of each month, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it might be, a, it is a, a significant part of why we are tenacious about our reformed theology. We work hard to see this comprehensive feature that it is an entire world and life view. That it, as wonderful as salvation from sin is, it's a part of what the Lord is doing. It's a, it's a part that's glorious, but our chief end isn't to worship the Lord for saving us from our sins. Although we are to worship the Lord for saving us from our sins, our chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. It's a great Thanksgiving verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that recalls these verses we're looking at. In everything, in all things, don't complain or argue. You have to use that energy for something much better. In all things for everything, give thanks, praise, pray. Rejoice. So, think back to this past Thursday. Food, fellowship, think forward to Christmas where there will be gifts, music, family time, relationships that we cherish, friendships that we cherish. I think it's almost critical for us to see this world all over again as the enchanting place that it is for so many children. I'm, I'm certainly not advocating any silly idea of magic when I say enchantment. But I think scripture verses like the one before us that's saying every good thing is given and every perfect gift is from above. Think about what that's saying. 
everything is good. It's from heaven. It's, it's a piece of heaven here on earth. It's a gift from heaven, from your father in heaven. I have a often um, interested in how sermons develop over the week and on Thanksgiving Day had a partial thought for a sermon that I wrote down later and I know it's not theologically precise the way it should be but it, it's there's something to it for whatever reason eating Thanksgiving meal I had this thought if God didn't want our sweet potatoes smothered in melted marshmallows then he wouldn't have created marshmallows in the first place. It's not as precise as it could be, and yet, God has always known all things. And every good and perfect gift is from above. And when you're eating sweet potatoes that God has made, smothered in melted marshmallows, you can stop and say, this is a gift from God. It is heavenly. Before he created anything, he knew all about sweet potatoes and sugar that would be made into marshmallows. He knew that from all eternity and designed it with that in mind because he knows all things. Whether it's marshmallows or ice cream or popcorn or popsicles or penguins, all of these things should just make us stop and think, who is this God? He's amazing. It's an enchanted world I'm in. My, my eyes have kind of dulled over, and I'm cynical and jaded and curmudgeonly and grinchy, but it's a world of marshmallows and miracles. And this is why that's so important. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Do you know what hell is? Hell is a place where God has been so thoroughly rejected. God says, you have no place for me. And all of the gifts I have given you from heaven over the course of your life, which includes every breath you've ever breathed. If that's what you want, go see what that's like. An existence without the blessing of God. It's terrifying. Maybe the best way to fight the darkness of the thought of hell is simply by enjoying the many, many, many gifts that God gives you. Every good gift, every perfect gift from your Father who is in heaven. It comes down from above. And I keep saying that this is comprehensive, that there's all of this always and everything language in these verses we've been looking at. This is how comprehensive it is. It's not just everything given, it's everything withheld. Think about that for a moment. Everything given and everything withheld is actually a gift from our loving Father in heaven. Why is what he withholds so difficult in the first place? Why can't we have perfect relationships with everybody in our family or with all of our friends? Why do we miss loved ones around the holidays? Why do we grieve 
that relatives of ours and friends of ours persist in being outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because they're so good in the first place. But this God gives every good and perfect gift, and there's no variation or shadow of turning in him. He's sovereign, he's in control, he's unchanging. This is what John Newton wrote at one point to somebody who is grieving over a sick sister. He said, To those who seek God, his sovereignty is exercised in a way of grace. All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. It can bring us to the appropriate sort of grief and lament when we consider what is withheld from us, the things that we don't have, that we wish we had. But that, too, is from your loving Father who is in heaven. That, too, is a, is a gift, a good gift, a perfect gift from God, and he's withholding it because it's needful in some way that we don't quite understand. Our Father who is in heaven. All that he gives, all that he withholds. And just in considering that, you see, again, a, a way to the cross of Jesus Christ. Christ crucified. For though he was rich, he came, became poor for our sake, so that we through his poverty might become rich. Though he is in the very, his own very nature, he's God. But he didn't consider that something to hold on to and grasp, but instead laid it aside, became a person obedient to the point of death, even death of a cross. What is the cross? But Jesus Christ enduring every good thing being withheld so that you could be the recipient of every good and perfect thing. I had a, uh, a few weeks ago, I had a thought that literally made me laugh and cry at the same time. I was thinking about children and how often they're, they're being disciplined or reprimanded or corrected or um, sort of sternly dealt with. And I was thinking, you know, why is that? I, I know enough by this point at 41 that I'm really not any more holy than any child out there. Maybe a little bit progressive sanctification is real. I understand that. But I'm a sinner, and, and I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I think about a child and how innocent they are. And it, it's sort of like, why are they always being reprimanded when I'm also a sinner and don't have that happening as much anyway? Um, and it was like humorous, but it was so sobering to come to this conclusion. I'm so good at sin, I can do most of it in my head. And, it, you know, if you think about it, that's actually pretty much where sin ultimately happens in your mind, even if it is brought on by 
external stimuli of some sort or another. Well, like, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't need to gossip. I can think all of those thoughts in my own head. Lust. Jot that one down. Greed. All sorts of miserly thoughts or incontent thoughts. I'm so good at it. I can just do it all in my head. And so it's such a comfort to know that Christ was crucified for me and all those sins that only me and him know about. He went to the cross and endured everything from God being withheld from him. He did that for my sake and all those sins that would be my identity apart from union with Jesus Christ. And everything was withheld from him there, even clothing, naked on the cross. Trust is withheld, as Peter denies. Loyalty is withheld, as Judas betrays. Friendship is denied and withheld. Where friendship is withheld, as the rest of the disciples abandon him, Loving communion with God the Father that he knew from all eternity was withheld to the extent that he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that all those sins that I'm so good at this point doing in my own head would be forgiven. So that he would be for me the inexpressible gift of God. The ultimate good and perfect thing having come down from heaven. Because God so loved the world that he gave his own son. That whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. Don't, don't get caught up in the materialism that abounds trying to fill that God-shaped hole in the soul that can never, ever be filled by stuff. Another cynical thought I had the other day. It's beginning to look a lot like Black Friday. <laughs> it's the only day in our calendar that, well, secular holiday that's appropriately named. It is pretty black. Come to Jesus Christ, the inexpressible gift who endured the withholding of all good things so that he could give you in his own name every good and perfect gift from the Father. Trust in him, believe in him. See him as the God from whom all blessings flow. And that brings us in itself to the giver of these great gifts. All of these things, small things, big things, grand things, eternal things. Think about the goodness of God, that infinite, eternal, unchangeable goodness. And here also, I believe it was Jay Adams, he said something, many things that were profound, but he said the, the, the language of us being human beings is flawed. God is a being. He's an unchanging being. We're human becomings. We're full of variation in the shadow of shifting shadows. It's all we are. In a day, we go from hungry to full, from hungry to full, feeling well to feeling sick, feeling awake to feeling tired. We're always changing, but God is without variation, without shifting shadow. 
But we always need to be at work, in a sense, preaching to ourselves, filling ourselves with this concept of God. He's unchanging in his goodness. Last week I read something um, that Christopher Hitchens wrote today. I'll give you another outspoken atheist, Richard Dawkins, who at one point wrote, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniac, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. When you hear something like that, you just got to like, you know, step over here and say, the only fiction I'm hearing there is the way you're describing God. That's not my God. That's not the God of the Old Testament. If you want the logic term, it's a straw man. But it does sort of make us stop and think all over again. I need to constantly be correcting my understanding of God. Over and over again, I, I, I live in, in need of seeing God as good. As so good that certain things he does and says don't quite make sense to me because, you know what, he's good and I'm not. That's the truth of the thing. A.W. Pink says this. We need A.W. Pink after we read Richard Dawkins. God cannot change for the better, for he is already perfect, and being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. You can't make perfect any better. And if perfect could get worse, it wouldn't be perfect in the first place. He is our Father in heaven, the Father of lights, unchanging in his goodness, showering upon us every good thing and every perfect gift. I do think it's critical for us during um, these times of the year in which in some ways we taste of more of the good things of life at holiday dinners and through giving gifts and spending more time with family and listening to music that we listen to during the season and even having certain church functions around the holidays and remembering all the time that we aren't called to live certain days before God's face, but every day, every moment, that every day in the calendar ought to be a day before the face of God, that every calendar should be a Christian calendar in that sense. And I, I really, I think it's so important. I mean, gifts from God, who is unchanging in his infinite eternal goodness, proving it to us over and over, either through melted marshmallows, smothered sweet potatoes, or the joy of a reunion with someone you love so much but haven't seen in a while. 
all of that culminating in the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ himself who forgives you of your sins, knowing that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. An enchanted world all over again, a world in which we're seeing heaven, although we know we're not there yet. But think about heaven. Don't, don't, don't stay here. We're, we're becoming, we're changing, we're progressing, we're, we're on a journey, we're on a pilgrimage, a pilgrimage. We are the pilgrims who are progressing in holiness towards the celestial city, our heavenly home, the new heavens and the new earth. I remember when I was a, a kid, um, Disney, you already know it's going to be bad, Disney, <laughs> Disney came out with a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven, and reformed pastors across the world lost their minds. <laughs> I've thought about that because I have a dog that I love so much and have to, at points, just not think about the fact that dogs don't live as long as humans do. And I don't think there's a verse where we can say all dogs go to heaven, and I think it's theologically accurate to say and re remind people that dogs are not made in the image of God while people are, and dogs do not have souls, eternal souls, the way people do. But here's what I want you to stop and think about. Heaven where you are with God your Father, who even in this life, when you've been in sin, guilty, in a fallen world, has just showered you with blessing upon blessing and given you so many good things, so many good things that in this verse we've looked at, James 1.17, he has to use two different terms. You know, every good thing given and every perfect gift is what the Lord is always doing. God from whom all blessings flow constantly showering you with gifts in a fallen world, even in spite of your own sin. Our Father who is in heaven. And then that portion of scripture we referred to where Jesus says, hey, you know, if, if you who are an evil father know how to give good things to your children, which every father around this time of year has on their mind because they're thinking about gifts to buy their children, if you know how to do that, how much more will he give you? Or, you know, he says the Holy Spirit, because that's just such a fantastic gift from God. But he is saying to compare him to an earthly fallen father at that point. And heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, that's a place where you're going to be with your father in heaven. Here's what I'm driving at. Can you imagine the sort of things you can ask him for? If you miss, miss, you know, Fido or whatever your dog's name is, Lord, that dog that I love so much, you, you made him. Could you make him here? I don't know how it works. I'm not God. I'm not saying he's like a genie in the bottle that will just be under your command for all eternity, but he is your loving father in heaven with all of the amazing features of this life that is given to you as gifts here and now. You 
will be with him forever and ever and ever. Can you come up with something even better than music? Can you come up with something even better than food? Can you come up with a brand new color that isn't a derivative of the primary color? Can I have a planet of friendly dinosaurs? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? Father in heaven, we pray that you would bring us back to 